0: This episode is supported by Vegamore. I'm a month and a half into my Vegamore journey. I don't know if you've ever had a garden and planted seeds, but when that first little growth breaks ground, it's exciting. And on my very head, I can see some new growth in the areas that I've noticed hair thinning before. And it's exciting to see those little babies coming in. I use the shampoo, conditioner, and the grow serum, which have a lovely, mellow, warm citrus smell. I've been consistently using this and it makes my hair feel soft and full. And it's really important to me that I use safe and conscious products whenever I can. And Vegamore is 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Elevate your hair wellness routine this year with Vegamore. For a limited time, get 20 20% off your first subscription order by going to vegamore.com slash mind and use code mind at checkout. That's dot R.com slash mind code mind to save 20% on your first order. dot com slash mind code mind. Welcome to Mom in Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. The Mom & Mind podcast has been a passion project for me absolutely for the past three years. It's been an honor to go on this journey with you and have you be a part of the Mom & Mind community. In an effort to keep our podcast strong and growing, I've now set up a Patreon page for the Mom & Mind podcast. What's a Patreon? It's basically crowdfunding, a donation platform where you can help move this podcast forward so we can continue to get these awesome episodes out to you and all of the other moms and families who deserve to know that they are not alone. Contributions can range anywhere from $2 a month up to $25 a month where you can become part of the Mom and Mind Collaborative, where as a professional, we can brainstorm together on how to get all of our voices for perinatal mental health out into the world. Come check it out at patreon.com momandmind. We would love to have your support to keep this mission going strong. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On this episode today, we're going to be talking about the law and postpartum psychosis. So, there are a couple of topics that we touch upon that might be sensitive for some listeners as we go through some of the legal ramifications for postpartum psychosis and postpartum depression and the law. Outside of that, this is a really fascinating discussion with Dr. Susan Feingold and attorney Barry Lewis. They have both helped to usher a law through the Illinois legislature. Dr. Finkel presented expert testimony in the House and Senate Criminal Law Committees, and Mr. Lewis presented a brief and testimony in support of HB 1764, which resulted in its unanimous passage in the Senate Criminal Law Committee. The bill is now law as of January 2018, known as PA 100 regarding postpartum illness. It is the first criminal law in the nation to recognize the effects of postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis. So we're going to dig into that today and find out what it took to get this passed and also some tips and pointers on how you, in your community, in your state, if you are so called to do this, can also start the process to get the law changed in your state. Dr. Susan Feingold is a licensed clinical psychologist, perinatal legal advocate, and author, member of President's Advisory Council and Postpartum Psychosis Task Force for Postpartum Support International. She is the author of the book, Happy Endings, New Beginnings, Navigating Postpartum Disorders. She's been specializing for over 26 years in women's mental health issues related to reproductive function. She's been an advocate and expert witness involved in legislative efforts for women with postpartum depression on a state and national level. And she's served as a president of the Board of Trustees for Depression After Delivery Incorporated and served on the executive board for many years. She, along with Attorney Barry Lewis, won the 2018 Maternal Mental Health Innovation Award in Policy and Advocacy. Lawyer Barry Lewis is a litigation attorney with 44 years in the private practice of law, working primarily in the field of criminal law. He is the past chair of the Chicago Bar Association Lawyer Referral Committee, winner of an award from Chicago Volunteer Legal Services, and has been continuing legal education lecturer on several occasions, and a member of the Illinois Continuing Legal Education Faculty since 1975. His most recent published work was in The Champion, the magazine of the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, titled A New Model of Law Offers Hope, Postpartum Disorders in the Law. Dr. Feingold and Mr. Lewis have a book coming out soon to be published in January of 2020 called Advocating for Women with Mental Illness, Changing the Law and Transforming the National Climate. The subject is postpartum illness and the law, and we'll cover why the law needs to be changed and how to do it. The book contains a chapter which plainly and overwhelmingly demonstrates why the influential article by Strecker and Ebaugh claiming there is no distinct illness in postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis is fraudulent. And you're going to hear in our talk today a lot of the pointers that they give in the book, but things that you can think of and do right away if you are someone who's wanting to change the law in your state. They're going to go into a little bit more about what the law is in Illinois, and how and who was involved in getting it passed, as well as how you can get a hold of them if you're really interested in moving things forward in your state. Let's hear from Susan and Barry. Welcome, Dr. Susan Feingold and Barry Lewis.
1: Hello, Dr. Kent. How are you? Thank you for having us.
2: So excited to be here.
0: Wow, thank you both for being here with us. I'm really excited to get this information and about your work and the advocacy you do out to the public because I think it's phenomenal and groundbreaking. So, outside of my accolades for you, why don't you guys <laughs> let us know what it is that you've been working on?
1: Well, right now we're working on a book. We've got a contract with Roman and Littlefield to write a book, some 80,000 words. Called Advocating for Women with Postpartum Mental Illness Changing the Law and Transforming the National Climate. And we regard this as the most important work we've ever done to get in conjunction with the work we've done to get the first in the US law pertaining to postpartum illness and criminal law enacted.
0: Wow. That's phenomenal. And yeah, we're going to be digging into that law and the work that you did to get it there. I think, I don't know how many people know about that law, but I think it's seminal in getting other laws changed. So I'd love to know more about that too.
2: Well, that's one reason that we're very excited about our book coming out. We are hoping that our book will be another avenue besides presentations to get the word out so that other people will get legislation going in their states. And, you know, a lot of times, if it's okay for me to just start with something, we start our book with an opening quote. We often end our presentations with the same quote, which seems like a great way to start this podcast. And that's a quote that fits very well with this. It's a quote by Margaret Mead. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. That's so true. And the amazing thing about the new Illinois law, which is known as PA One Hundred Five Seven Four, is that was just a few individuals, a handful of individuals, Barry and I were two of them with no advocacy training, no legislative experience, that we were able to make a difference and usher the first postpartum criminal law through the Illinois legislature, and it's the first postpartum criminal law in the nation. So it's a real game changer.
0: Wow, that is fascinating. Can you explain in a little more detail for people what the law is and what it does?
2: Sure. And I can even tell you the handful of people that were involved because that's, oh, that's too. also very interesting. I don't know which way you want me to go first. Oh, sure.
0: Yeah. Tell us about the people who helped out and then tell us what the law is.
2: Okay. So the proposed legislation for this, this is what's so interesting, was initially drafted by two incarcerated women mm-hmm. at Logan Penitentiary. Their best friends they both have prison sentences of natural life without parole, and one has been in prison for 30 years, the other one 33 years. One had postpartum psychosis and would possibly benefit with a reduced sentence from this new law. The other would not benefit. She was incarcerated due to a domestic abuse-related homicide. This episode
0: is supported by Hungry Root. I am a creature of habit when it comes to food, like I buy the same stuff in the store and generally make the same stuff over and over. Not really that fun. So in order to shake things up, I use Hungry Root. I can pick a whole meal and they send me what I need to make it, but I will also just let them choose so I don't get into my rut and it paid off. I got the chicken shawarma non flatbread These are flavors that I wouldn't have thought to put together on my own, and they totally work. It was so yummy and so easy to make. And bonus, I also received for free organic roasted chicken breasts that I threw into a salad for another meal. Hungry Root is my partner in healthy and yummy living. Right now, Hungry Root is offering mom and mine listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to hungryroot.com slash cat to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's hungryroot.com slash cat. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. This episode is supported by Ritual. I am by nature and nurture a bit skeptical. I have to see for myself if something works or if it's helpful before I just believe it whole cloth. And I'm open to trying things out to see for myself. And that includes finding strategies for my wellness. I have historically low vitamin D, so it's important for me to take Ritual's Essential 18 because it has D3 in it, and their clinically-backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has several other high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. What I love and have always loved about Ritual is that it's a female-founded company, and it's a B Corp, which means they're holding themselves accountable And not just long-term, but also to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash momandmind. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash momandmind for 25% off
2: but she's really interested in helping, you know, I mean, it's sort of a labor of love for her best friend mm-hmm. and for all these other women. We think there are about 20 mm-hmm. in Logan Penitentiary. So they, they just, were sort of the first wow. people who wow. started this.
0: Amazing. And um, how long ago was that about?
1: When did they start? Well, in 2017.
2: 2017.
1: I don't know the exact month, but
0: early in 2017. 2017.
2: And then sort of the next player was a man who was responsible for suggesting to them after hearing stories about all these women in the penitentiary that are there for postpartum illnesses, he suggested the need for a new law, and he said he would find a sponsor in the Illinois General Assembly, which he did and introduced the legislation. That was Bill Ryan, who was a retired assistant deputy director of the Department of Children and Family Services. Mm -hmm. And he used his retirement to fight prison, injustice, and for reform. And in his visits to prisons throughout Illinois, he started hearing about from many this large group of women who were in there due to postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis. And so that was the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then Barry and I jumped on, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we were responsible basically for providing the expert testimony as well as to usher the legislation through the House and the Senate despite numerous obstacles. And probably about two weeks ago, we went to visit... Sims and Jackson, in the penitentiary, spent about three hours with them, interviewing them, and it was just fascinating. And they sort of said, you know, it's like a train. We've all played a certain part, and the train couldn't have gone without each of us, but that we all had a part to play. But I do want to acknowledge them because it's amazing. You know, two women, that got some legal training in the penitentiary.
0: Mm-hmm. That is amazing. And I'm curious, Barry, from your perspective, how often does, I mean, and maybe you don't know the answer, but how often do things like this happen where someone within the legal system is spurring on a change of law like this?
1: Just about never. I've attended a session on advocacy training with Restore Justice, was right. that the name? Mm-hmm. And basically they said, What we did never happens. Wow. I was quite aware that was that rare. Uh But they asked everyone in the attendance what they had done, what their involvement was, if any, in legislation and advocacy. And when we started talking about it, they said, oh, yeah, that one. (laughs)
2: I guess we were naive not to know that this couldn't be done. So we just did it. (laughs) Pretty much the
1: size of it.
0: Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that you did this. I am just so hopeful and excited for what this could mean across the country. So what is the law?
2: What did you guys do? So the law, which is called, I mean, it's got a very catchy name, PA 1000574, <laughs> is this law amends the Code of Corrections to consider postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis. It names them, these illnesses, as mitigating factors in sentencing when women commit crimes while suffering from those illnesses. Wow! So, In the prison system, it's looked down upon. So sometimes women don't acknowledge it. Not only is it looked down upon, in some cases, women have been attacked or beaten up Hmm. or, you know, it's the low end of the totem pole, I guess you could say, in terms of not very popular to acknowledge that you're in prison for the death of your child, mm-hmm. there's
1: a status system in the prisons, and the top of the status is occupied by murderers, but not murderers of children. The bottom tier is rapists and everything in between.
0: Mm. So, okay, so the
1: women who killed children are just at the bottom of the pillar, together with rapists.
0: Okay, wow, that I mean is another example of how little the general public knows about these conditions because it sounds like it's met with such disgust even in the prisons and it is met with the same thing out in public as well absolutely
2: yes i mean the stigma in the public is also parallels the stigma in the prison right right absolutely Mm -hmm. wow So I was just going to say that this law will affect these women and allow those who've had postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis the opportunity for possibly a reduced sentence and for a post-conviction petition and resentencing hearing. Wow. And so many of these women are serving long or lifetime sentences with no parole And the possibility now is that there might be a possibility that they can, you know, have freedom. Oh,
0: that sounds extremely hopeful. When was the law passed?
1: It actually became law in January of last year and became effective June 1st of
2: last year. Of 2018.
0: Wow, you guys worked very quickly. That's (laughs) amazing. It's a year or less to get this all pushed through.
2: Right. It all went
1: through in one legislative mm-hmm. session yes. with a lot of problems.
2: A lot of obstacles, and each one could have easily sort of killed the law. Are you allowed to talk about any of those?
1: Sure. Well, I guess the start of it with, we can't comment too much on what happened before our involvement,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: a postpartum organization contacted the members and Sue responded. They were asking for anyone who could help with expert testimony regarding the postpartum psychosis and how it would involve the law. Mm -hmm. So Sue went ahead and did that and testified. And following her testimony, the criminal law committee or the responsible subcommittee of the House of Representatives voted unanimously in favor of the law. Sue came back happy, figuring, okay, we've done it. Everything's done. No more involvement. But we paid attention to what was happening to the House bill. The House passed it unanimously and then went on to the Senate Criminal Law Committee. At that point, the state's attorney's office's lobbyist, one Matt Jones, timely interposed an objection. I say timely because he interposed the objections late in May, Mm -hmm. and the law had to be passed with three readings on different days by the Senate before it could be passed by the whole Senate.
2: Yeah, before the... Senate adjourned for the and summer, that had, right? right? That
1: had to be done before mm-hmm. the Senate adjourned for the summer, which is coming up in just days. Mm-hmm. So we got the law taken off hold and I submitted a brief supporting the law. Jones' comment and objection was that the law was unconstitutional, a violation of separation of powers. Without going into detail on that, I refuted as best I could with a written brief that was very rushed. I completed over the weekend did some touch-ups on Monday when the law library opened so I could check a few other resources mm-hmm. and overnighted it to the committee. And Sue and I hopped in the car that morning and went out to meet with the committee. Mm-hmm.
2: So, And we were successful basically at that point. we went to testify. Again, this time I had testified in the House before, but then the two of us went to testify in the Senate.
1: Mm. And that was successful. The Senate uh, Criminal Law Committee again uh, voted unanimously. There may have been one abstention, but no negative votes. So, okay, everything looks in order, and it uh, will go on to the Senate as a whole for the required three readings. Well, they only had time to do the two readings before the adjournment. Okay, so we figured they'll be resuming in the fall and everything will be fine. Well, we learned instead that the only meetings would be for the veto session to take up laws which Governor Rauner may have vetoed after the legislature had adjourned. In order to get that done, we learned, there had to be a concurrence between the Senate president, one Mr. Cullerton, and the Senate sponsor, one Toy Hutchinson. They had to both agree before the law could be brought before the Senate Mm -hmm. during the veto session. So Sue got the idea of preparing a prospectus and hand-delivering it to the Senate President's office in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And we did that, and then Sue made a lot of phone calls to get the thing to make sure that the Senate President got the prospectus that she'd prepared. And then we learned that the Senate President was seen with our prospectus in the Senate, and we're thrilled to have just gotten that far. The law was brought up then, In front of the Senate and passed by an overwhelming majority. Wow. At which point, there were no problems. I thought it was
2: done. Yes. (laughs) I just the the governor would sign it and that was it. Right. Sure. Of course he
1: would. First of all, (laughs) these. Governor's wife happened to be at the Biennial Perinatal Mental Health Conference Wow! right about the time that this passed, I think the very day it passed or the very next day, as the keynote speaker. Oh and gosh. guess what? A number of people went up to her. Well, and you left
2: out a little part. What did I leave we out? We were speaking at that perinatal conference, and as soon as we had finished our presentation, which was on the legal issues, and, you know, we had said, well, the bill sort of, duck, it's not moving, Mm -hmm. and it hasn't had the third reading, and we're hoping for it, and we'll kind of keep everyone informed. And then just after we finished our presentation, we're very pleased to finish it. We went to Starbucks, like it was Mm -hmm. at Northwestern, and I was at Starbucks, like with my Starbucks, all of a sudden my phone goes off, and it's Senator Hutchinson's office saying, the bill just passed the Senate. And what? I mean, you could have heard me scream in <laughs> Starbucks all the way to the conference. And then we went back up and made the announcement. And then go ahead. Then the governor's wife was speaking the next day.
1: And so, guess what? People approached her and informed her of the bill pending before her husband. And she said, of course, I'm sure my husband will sign it. Wow. I mean, what else is she going to say when uh, she's surrounded by six women and she's she's given the keynote speak on the subject of postpartum illness. So everything was absolutely in order and nothing could possibly go wrong, could it? Well, (laughs) yes, it did. Time was going by and I researched it, found that the law had to be signed by the governor within a particular period of time and had to be presented to the governor within a particular period of time. And when the first deadline was approaching, I got more and more worried. So I started looking into it. And what we found out was that apparently, and I don't want to blame anyone, so, but apparently the House did not learn that the Senate had passed the law because this was a rather unusual procedure for it to be in the, brought up in the veto session. So what we did was we made a number of phone calls, each of us in somewhat of a panic and trying to stay calm. And we were able to find out that that seemed to be the problem. The House then sent it to the governor and the governor signed it in early January.
2: Mm -hmm. And we're probably on some restriction list or restraining list. (laughs) I think we were harassing so many people like, what's going on with the bill? What's going on with the (laughs) bill? So, yeah, so it's been pretty exciting and basically our hope and sort of a shared goal that we have is this is the beginning, Illinois is the beginning of comprehensive postpartum laws in all 49 other states throughout the U.S. Yeah, and that this wave of postpartum depression psychosis being acknowledged both as unique and as a mental illness that affects motherhood, it doesn't fit our current judicial system and the approach we have, which is about punishment and, you know, some of these acts that have happened to Mm -hmm. some of these acts like infanticide, you know, a difficult subject for sure. But these are mentally ill women that need to be treated rather than punished. And, Mm -hmm. And basically in the U.S. it's regarded as a homicide.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, the entire culture in the U.S. seems to be about punishment in these situations. The British Infanticide Act was actually a response to the jury's unwillingness to convict a mother of murder, which carried death sentence, mm-hmm. whereas uh, in the U.S. they don't seem to have any such compulsion against it.
0: Mm. Oh, so it, just for context and maybe a refresher for people listening now, what are the typical charges in infanticide or postpartum related cases?
1: Typically it's murder. I'd like to go back to the British acts. The British acts were had a problem with murder being the result of an infanticide act mm-hmm. and a problem with the juries finding the women not guilty as a consequence so they created an act in 1922, which simply eliminated the death penalty. And for
2: these women, for yes, these mothers. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in
1: 1938, over 80 years ago, they expanded it to create a specific law regarding infanticide by mothers within a year after the child is born, and which basically emphasized treatment over punishment. Mm-hmm. And most women who were convicted of that in the last 10 or 20 years receives probation or something like that, as opposed to an actual penitentiary sentence. Or
2: treat, yeah, treatment rather than punishment. So, wow. And th- not only has there been the British Infanticide Act since 1938, but 30 other countries have laws regarding infanticide being a product of a maternal mental illness, whereas the U.S., until Illinois, has had no law And as I said before, it's just treated like any other homicide.
1: That's a major problem because the law is not properly dealing with this situation at all. Mm -hmm. A concept in the law is that equal crimes by equal people with equal backgrounds, shall we say, committing an equal crime should have essentially the same outcome in the law. So that if a person does X with no background, the person should receive probation or 10 years, whatever the case may be, but should be, have some degree of consistency. Right. Consistency implies fairness. Mm-hmm. But we don't have anything like that for any number of reasons. And I'd like to read to you a quote from 1989, the Capitol University Law Review. Given this lack of a discernible pattern in verdicts, there is no textbook case of this disorder. The courts will continue to struggle with this defense until the decision is made to take an active role in recognizing this defense. In other words, it's all over the place. It's entirely arbitrary. The insanity defense, generally speaking, does not work. The insanity defense is used in less than one-tenth of one percent of the cases and is successful in approximately one-fifth of those cases in which it's presented. And in most cases, it's successful when there's a prior hospitalization for some form of mental disease, which can be treated as insanity under the law. And by contrast, in postpartum illness, as you know, postpartum psychosis in particular, there is no prior psychosis. You Mm -hmm. may have a prior event of or a prior diagnosis of bipolar as a common Mm -hmm. prior diagnosis but bipolar is by no means insanity it doesn't even approach the standard for insanity
2: right in, in terms of the law yes. right that. sure sure because the law and mental health look at these things differently mm-hmm. you know is a disadvantage a lot of times for these women and even in terms of their defense i think it's hard for defense attorneys to make a case for insanity when someone has no history of mental illness, particularly if it's the first Mm -hmm. time they've ever committed a crime, and yes, a very difficult type of crime. But since they have no mental health history, it's hard to defend them and to use an insanity defense. Is that right there?
1: That's correct. And even more unfortunate is even when there is a lengthy prior mental illness demonstrable and provable, the result can be a life sentence instead. Carol mm-hmm. Coronado had lengthy, multiple right. mental illness issues that were demonstrated at the trial. Yeah. And in fact, the first psychiatrist hired by the state said she was insane. So what did mm-hmm. they do? They just hired another one. Yeah. And this one said she may she have been mildly, mildly depressed, depressed at times.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: really. So,
0: oh, oh, Carol Coronado? Yeah,
2: the Carol Coronado case in California. Yeah, yeah. No, that she had been mildly depressed.
1: That was the decision by the state's psychiatrist, the second one they hired. Wow. She may have been mildly depressed Mm -hmm. at times.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And apparently that carried the day as far as the judge was concerned. The (sighs) appellate court affirmed and the Supreme Court of California Mm -hmm. refused to handle the case. That is a poster child for the kind of problems that somebody can have in attempting a defense of an infanticide case. Look, Yates, too. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no.
0: I mean, it's really fascinating. I think there's some legal stuff that are just, you know, most of us don't understand or have access to is, you know, the infanticide defense. What I'm hearing is it's very hard to prove or very hard to, I don't know the, the correct wording, but if but I understand what you're saying correctly is that sometimes, if there's a history, it will be seen as insanity, and but sometimes not. And that's in part because, from what you're saying, there's no law to back up these conditions. So it's Well, and there there's, seems to be
2: an arbitrariness from state to state, is what you're okay. saying. No, correct? it's
1: worse. It's from case to case within each state. Oh, really? It's okay. It's all over the place because okay. there is no law appropriate. We're talking about temporary insanity. Right. And that's a major problem itself. There was a Michigan Law Review article from the 50s which said that because of the extreme and frequent use of the insanity defense, it should be eliminated. Mm. And it's just look at that and say, huh, what are they talking about? (laughs) First of all, this is an article written by a bunch of law students who had no psychiatric experience, no psychologists or a psychiatrist was interviewed in the course of it, and yet mm-hmm. they're advocating for the elimination of temporary insanity. And guess what? Every insanity defense is, in a sense, temporary insanity. Right. Very rarely is an insanity defense utilized by somebody who is completely and thoroughly and constantly insane. And as you know, even a floridly psychotic individual, while being floridly psychotic, can have rational thoughts. Mm -hmm. And these rational thoughts and actions can be used to say that the person was not insane. It's a very bad situation to try and raise them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that we see a lot with psychosis and postpartum psychosis cases Mm -hmm. is the illness can wax and wane and change rapidly. So someone who seems logical and seems like they, in fact, maybe their mood is improving, mm-hmm. it can change rapidly. So we see things, So and that's used often in legal cases. I think it was used, in fact, in the Carol Coronada case that she had been to her OB-GYN prior to killing her children and attempting suicide. And he said, well, she seemed very upbeat that day. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So those kind of things can be used against a woman who's being charged and going in trial. And I think that, you know, so it works against them, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. But those are, you know, I think there needs to be understanding of this illness.
0: Women deserve a clean, effective multivitamin they can trust. When Kat Schneider realized that this didn't exist, she decided to create her own and founded Ritual. Ritual is the obsessively researched multivitamin designed for women by women. Ritual contains nine nutrients that are difficult to get enough of every day, even with a healthy diet. Instead of taking a handful of five to eight vitamins, Ritual makes it easy with two capsules a day. Order online at Ritual.com. For around $1 a day, Ritual is delivered to your door monthly so you can stay on track with your new healthy habit. What's even better, Ritual's capsules have a no-nausea design, so they're gentle on an empty stomach. I love taking this vitamin because it's part of my self-care, and I know I'm getting the nutrients that I need to be the best that I can be. Try Ritual today because you'll get an exclusive offer for 10% off your first three months. Visit Ritual.com slash mine to start your Ritual today. That's 10% off your first three months at ritual.com slash mom and mind. So if we were to get a law similar or exactly like what you have helped push through in Illinois, if we were to get that across the board, I'm just imagining the magnitude of women who could be supported and helped and saved instead of incarcerated.
2: I think that would be wonderful. I mean, that's really our goal and that, you know, what we'd really like is first to have prompt screening and treatment of maternal mental illness. That's really the first step to avoid women harming themselves or their infants or children or anyone else. The second step is for passage of state criminal laws to incorporate treatment, including a conditional release program so that if women fall between the cracks and they aren't early identified, they don't receive treatment or it's not successful treatment, that they're not subject to the same state homicide laws mm-hmm. and harsh sentences that they currently are. At this point, we think there are about a 1,000 women throughout the country that are incarcerated who've had a temporary Mental illness like postpartum psychosis, Mm -hmm. and in their delusional state, took the life of their child. Sometimes they attempt suicide. You know, we know that just in terms of incidents, one to two of a thousand women um, get postpartum psychosis following childbirth. Uh, About five percent commit suicide, and one to four percent of those women commit infanticide or neonaticide. So it's not the majority of women with psychosis, but it's still a sizable number. It's way too many. And you know, many of these women are in prison for life. Mm -hmm. And in some states they get the death penalty for a mental illness. Right.
0: So obviously oftentimes not getting treatment soon enough at all. And then something bad happens and they're still not getting treatment. I mean they're not getting treatment in prison.
2: (laughs) They might be getting some treatment in jail. I'm not sure, you know, first of all, that, you know, how good the treatment is, that there's any kind of protocol in terms of treating them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes that even hurts them because, you know, in some of these uh, sensationalized cases like Andrea Yates and Carol Coronada you know, if you saw a picture of them when they're charged, they look very different than when they finally go to trial and they've been on antipsychotic medication. And right. so that might also hurt them because they now look they look pretty okay at the point <laughs> oh that they're in trial. Do you agree?
1: Yes, absolutely. And in terms of the availability of mental health treatment, It's much more available if somebody is found unfit to stand trial, Mm. because there the state actually has an incentive to provide sufficient treatment for the person to recover effectively and be fit for trial.
0: Mm. So them being sort of unfit for trial
2: is, I guess, helps their case? No, it brings Um, their
1: case to trial. You can't bring a person to trial who is unfit for trial.
2: uh So it just puts everything on hold? Is that what
1: you're
0: saying? Okay. Okay. Okay, so given your experience and perspective here, what do you think that other people, other states could be doing to get these laws on the books?
2: Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about some general things, and then maybe if you want to go into more details about the gu- some guidelines to consider. You know, we're on a learning curve, you know, because as I said, you know, and maybe that'll be inspiring for your listeners and other advocates we really had no experience in this, and I guess I feel like if we could do it, you can do it too. Mm-hmm. So I think that to start the process, I think you have to look at certain things. First of all, finding out what's the normal schedule mm-hmm. of when uh, legislation is introduced in your state. Mm-hmm. You have to look for a sponsor, either in the House or the Senate, and you might want to look for someone who has maternal mental health, either experience or they have a track record of voting in favor of women's issues. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that we didn't have, but I would certainly encourage it, we got it after the fact, is try to find and take an advocate training session. Mm. So that someone can help who does have experience as an advocate or through an organization can help you walk through the legislative process. Because we were sort of learning as we went mm. and putting out fires, like when there'd be an obstacle or we heard like, oh, the bill's stuck. We would be like, okay, let's call people. Let's find out how can we get it on step. But Mm -hmm. people who might have more experience with legislation and advocacy might be able to do this without as much effort (laughs) as it took us.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. Those are amazing first steps. I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. And it sounds, I don't want to say easy because it's not easy, but the way you have laid it out there makes it sound possible.
1: It is. No one would enact a law which endangers the lives of children, but a postpartum defense law such as the British Infanticide Act does not harm children, doesn't increase the risk to children. In fact, it can reduce the risk of death to both the mothers and the children. England, Scotland, and Wales all have similar demographics, similar economies. The general citizenry is roughly the same. And they all have a similar rate of infanticide, but only Britain and Wales have an infanticide act reducing the penalty. Scotland does not. Since the rates of infanticide are similar, the law does nothing to increase the risk of infanticide, something nobody could
2: support. And and possibly that might be one fear with these laws, like, are we encouraging these women, which oh sort of sounds ridiculous to us, but, yeah. you know, some people might believe that. Okay. Okay.
1: And, and there's been no harm from the Illinois law, although it's a limited law, it's a critical first step. Absolutely. So there's also, I think it's important for people to learn that most countries have a different viewpoint of infanticide than does the U.S., which treats it as the ultimate crime. By contrast, a survey of 34 states showed 28 of them had specific law. 34
2: countries? 34
1: countries, yes, had a specific law regarding infanticide. And in 28 of them, uh, approximately, the maximum sentence ranged around six years. Hmm. What to do about that? Well, a great first step is to eliminate the mandatory minimum penalty for infanticide, which is the same as murder.
0: Is that a federal law?
1: uh, No, a federal law probably wouldn't apply. Uh It's hard to picture a a federal charge of infanticide because of the limitation of the federal judicial authority. Uh The states are in charge of almost everything in terms of crimes within a state of violence.
0: Oh, sure. I see what you mean. So then is it possible that each state would have its own minimum or maximum? I can't remember what you stated.
1: I'm talking about minimum sentences. There oh, okay. might be situations sure. in which a judge could very reasonably impose a maximum sentence
0: mm-hmm. in
1: even an infanticide case. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that if the judge doesn't find the person or the jury doesn't find the person not guilty by reason of insanity, there's a minimum sentence that can be extremely onerous. It can be 20 years, it right. can be lifetime, yeah. oh. and it makes no sense for a temporary mental illness to result in a lifetime of incarceration. Right. The things that have to be done is to identify the problem within the state
0: mm-hmm. and
1: define it and show how this is different. This is much, much different from the... Standard feared murder, the home invader that people fear will be released and then enter their home. Right. Instead, we're dealing with a more private situation.
2: Mm-hmm. We're dealing with issues of motherhood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we know is 800,000 women a year in the U.S. have some form of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, the most severe. And most rare, of course, is postpartum psychosis. 10 to 15% have postpartum depression. So there are a lot of women who, based on pregnancy, lactation, delivery, hormones, you know, numerous stressors, are at risk. And, you know, it's a unique situation, and we need a unique law Mm -hmm. to address this issue. Right, uh, the, other, mm-hmm. the other thing I wanted to comment on is, you know, you were talking about a model for other states. And besides the general guidelines I already identified, there were a couple other things in terms of a developmental model that we've discussed, Barry and I have. And we, in fact, were part of a small group of people, advocates and in Massachusetts to develop legislation that would be even more comprehensive than the one in Illinois. We're thrilled about the one in Illinois because it opened the door Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and that made it groundbreaking, but we'd like even more comprehensive laws that deal with this issue. And you said that that is starting in Massachusetts? Massachusetts was in the process of developing and Barry were on, and I were on the small group helping to create legislation mm-hmm. to be presented in Massachusetts. We were hoping Massachusetts might be the second state, mm-hmm. but that legislation, what we incorporated in that legislation that isn't true in Illinois, even though it's a start, in Massachusetts, we incorporated a treatment program, a conditional release program. I think there's one in California, in fact. So more focus on treatment for women who commit these crimes and less focus on punishment. Fantastic.
1: A weakness of the conditional release program is in California is that there has to be certain findings before it can be applied. So Carol Coronado is not eligible for the program because she was simply convicted and sentenced to life.
0: Mm. Wow. Wow. It sounds like there's so many holes we need to patch up in Absolutely.
1: this.
0: Whew. Are you aware of any other States that are working on this?
1: No. Texas attempted, I think in 2009, filing the rather polarizing Andre Yates matter. hmm that logging, no traction whatsoever, never was enacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, But they attempted attempted
2: something and theirs was, yes, more comprehensive like the British Infanticide Act. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if ours was more comprehensive if it would have passed. Mm
0: -hmm. So at
2: least it opened the door. And so we're thrilled about that. We know there are limitations and we might want to circle back and get a more comprehensive legislation going in the future. But at this point, we're happy that opened the door, which might open the door for other states, and that's what we'd really like. I'd like to
1: give you an example of opening the door. Sure. The very first law allowing women to control their own property was enacted provided their husbands were incapacitated. (laughs) Okay? Now, that sounds like a very weak law, but it opened the door. And about 10 years later, the first law went into effect, which allowed married women to control their own property, period, regardless Mm. of the incapacitation of their husband.
2: Mm. Wow. Wow. So in addition to some of the general guidelines that I talked about, we just kind of identified a couple uh, points in terms of a developmental model to follow in creating new laws. Initially, to identify the problem, to write out the law clearly and in an understandable way, to document the need for a new law, to attract a sponsor, and certainly the sponsor then will help move it through the legislature, and then to convince the legislature to act And also, coming from our experience, it's probably best to act as a unified group Hmm. or organization, not so much as an individual. It's uh, very time-consuming, and just having an organization behind you would really help, I think, or or a group. This episode is supported by Factor.
0: Eating better is better with ready-to-eat Factor Meals. And ready to eat means pop it in the microwave for two minutes and done. I mix in a few of these meals into my rotation for the days that we're on the run or that I don't want to make anything. I chose the high protein and calorie smart options, one of which is the mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice with garlic roasted green beans. This is restaurant quality and so tasty. I can adjust how many meals I get in my order as much or as little as I need every week. Plus I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime, which comes in really handy for our busy schedule. Head to factormeals.com slash mom and mind 50 and use code mom and mind 50 to get 50% off. That's code mom and mind 50 at factormeals.com slash mom and mind 50 to get 50% off. Support for today's episode comes from OneSkin, and for a limited time, my listeners get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code MIND when you check out at oneskin.co. Well, I've kept up my mini resolution of taking better care of my skin after consistently using OneSkin for several weeks and all is going well. I can't see what's going on at a cellular level, but I can tell you that my skin feels soft and healthy. But they did do some cool research that looked at before and after exposure of the OS1 peptide to skin cells, and the One Skin scientists found that the peptide reverses skin's biological age. And you can even see that study by Zonari A et al. in the NPJ Aging Journal. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code MIND at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code MIND. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New year, healthier skin. That's Oneskin. Wow, that's fantastic. I love that. Thank you. It's so nice to have steps on how to do some things that's so complicated.
1: And as far as it being complicated, remember that most of that was done by two inmates who'd taken <laughs> one of whom had taken a full paralegal course and the other one taken part of a paralegal course. That's
0: phenomenal. It's, it's doable. That's amazing. Really, really great. Okay. So is this also going to be in your book?
2: Yes. All of this is in our book in much more detail, okay. even though Barry had said, you know, <laughs> 80,000 80, words. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. You know, it's more like 250 pages. And so, yes, much more detail about how we went through the process, what needs to happen, as well as the history of this illness. And the rest, you'll just have to wait and read. (laughs) (laughs) It's a teaser. Oh, boy. (laughs) Thank
0: you. Well, thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. And certainly I'm thinking of the people who are listening who are feeling you know the pull to do work like this. They'll be able to have you guys as a resource, not only in your book, but in other ways too. We'll get to in just a moment.
1: Okay, and I'd like to mention that four different types of laws, uh, to laws, could be created. The British Act can be utilized just basically word for word. Another law simply more like the original act, the 1922 Act, which eliminated the death penalty. Instead of eliminating the death penalty, you could eliminate some of these horrendous minimum sentences, which really are designed around the career criminal. Mm. A conditional release could be created with a conditional release program similar to California's, but applicable even after a finding of guilty so that... A finding guilty of infanticide would authorize the implementation of a conditional release program where treatment is emphasized. And finally, the Illinois Act, it's a groundbreaker, and it's well worth it for that purpose alone. That gives women who are already convicted and probably sentenced to major sentences, thus they're still in jail, could receive consideration of their plight again.
2: So you're saying that the last one was they could use the new Illinois law 100.0574 as a model, and you know, when they're writing their own laws or their and, own legislation.
1: And when they correct. do, yes, correct. And when they do, it's important to have analyzed and show exactly in the law what words are changed in what sensing laws. Mm. Otherwise, you know, you're leaving up the legislature to try and do the work that they might not want to attempt without Mm -hmm. a full concept and full set of laws written out for them.
0: Fantastic. So I'm assuming that this is where having a lawyer involved would really benefit the movement here. Because you have a keen eye on this sort of stuff that a layperson or non-lawyer wouldn't.
2: I think it also requires a mental health person because, you know, when I initially got involved, part of my goal was to educate the legislators that were about to vote yay or nay on Mm -hmm. this bill. And what I found is they did not really understand perinatal disorders. So I had a few minutes to explain to them what this is they're voting on. So we were kind of, in a way, a perfect team. We never expected to work together. Mm -hmm. But I think it is important to have an attorney and a mental health person to be able to give expert witness testimony in the House and Senate, you know, when you're creating and trying to get this legislation through. It is remarkable
1: how we met and that we happen to have that exact skills needed to get (laughs) this law enacted.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. So, I mean, if everybody can hear that, there's so many steps to this. Some people who don't necessarily have a legal background really spearheaded this, and it's kind of rolled through with several different hands touching it, but... Certainly, it might look different from state to state how this gets rolled out, or my hope that this all gets rolled out everywhere. I'm interested to know if people can get a hold of you, people who want to do this work and want to consult with you about this, how can they, and how can they?
2: Yeah, we would love that. that. Mm -hmm. So probably the best way to contact us would be by email. I would suggest putting in the subject line because as everyone else, we're inundated by so many, you know, hundreds, thousands of emails and I would hate to miss it if someone was reaching out to us. So they might email us and they can email me at susanbf at sbcglobal.net and Barry, you want to give yours?
1: Sure. Mine is B Lewislaw B-L-E-W-I-S-L-A-W, at A-T-T dot net.
0: Okay. I'll go ahead and put those emails in the show notes as well so that when they're clicking through the episode, they can find those and reach out to you if they're interested in starting this up in their own state.
2: Would love that. That would be fabulous. And the other thing we'd love is uh, once our book is out, to be back on your show and to answer more questions, and hopefully by then we'll have some really good news. It looks like we both get a lot of letters from the women in prison, in Illinois, and it looks like some of those resentencing hearings are, since the new law, I have uh, ended up with possibly lowering the sentence of... Oh my some of these women and we're hoping because some of them have already served 20, 30 years Mm. that they might be able to get out. I'm going to (laughs) cry. That is so amazing.
0: We're pretty
2: excited about that.
0: Wow. Wow. I love this. I love this. Oh, I'm so hopeful for everyone. Uh, It's just what you've done is groundbreaking. And thank you to all of the people before you who helped to get this law started. And those women who are in prison now. That's ena- phenomenal oh. work.
1: There's another resource I'd like to mention. There's an article, like the cover page article in the Champion, the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers Magazine, March 2018, discussed this law. And the law, it, Barry available. wrote the article. Okay. Was okay, that, he didn't that, want that, to yeah. say it.
2: I could see he was struggling with that. And it's called Postpartum Disorders, A New Law Offers Hope. Oh, fantastic! I'll find the link and include that
0: as well. That
1: there would is be no, great. There is no link; it has to be specially ordered. It's for. Oh, okay, uh, gotcha. It's for members only, but I'm sure that that could be ordered. And if somebody can't order it and they need it, I'll get permission, photocopy it, and mail it off to whoever needs it.
0: Oh, fantastic! Thank you, thank you both so much for the work that you're doing. You are just shining a huge light, and I hope that other people will follow that and take that light with them to their state.
1: That'd be great. We hope so, too. (laughs) I've never done anything this important in my life and have handled a lot of important cases. And I'd like to thank you, Dr. Kat, for your work and inviting us on your show.
0: Of course. Thank you so much. I appreciate you for being with us. And thank you. Yes. Oh, there is a lot to chew on there. Thank you so much, Dr. Feingold and Mr. Lewis, for coming on and sharing all of this information and your clear passion for this work. It's amazing to me how having a little bit of this information about the work that you've done and the steps that you're telling us makes me feel like it's more possible. This was just information I didn't have. It always, you know, legal stuff and all that seems so out of touch for me. It's just not in my world at all. But Hearing this conversation, how dedicated you were, how just the right players were involved in this, how it started from two moms and ended up changing a law that could potentially help so many women. I am so hopeful that we can get this replicated or duplicated or in some way get other laws changed in other states across our country. And certainly for other countries who already have these protective laws on board, there's so much we can learn from them. It's not like we're starting from zero. Other countries are doing this and we can too. If you would like to get in touch with Susan or Barry, you can find them on their website, drsusanfeingold.com or barrylewislaw.com. I'll put their contact information in the show notes so that will be easily accessible for you. Even if you are somebody who doesn't not want to get involved in the legal process here in advocacy, what I think is so beautiful about hearing this episode today is that at least you know that somebody's doing something. It can feel really isolating out there when we think we're in something alone and it feels like nobody's doing anything. Well, there are people doing things. They're getting laws changed and they are advocating and there are people out there who are really, really pulling to make sure that that moms and families get the help and support that they need. I hope this has been enlightening and eye-opening for you and that you know for sure that you are not alone. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com.
3: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilled Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired.